All right, welcome back to the Bad Movie Journalists, where we celebrate the wonder of mediocre art. I'm Christian, certified movie critic bad boy. And I'm Connor, certified sad boy. Today, once again, we're going back into the pre-MCU of Marvel movies, and we're talking Blade Trinity, a movie famous for starring Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool 15 years earlier. Actually, that's not right. I think he played Deadpool in like 27, 2018. It doesn't matter because the joke is that he's been playing the same character for pretty much his entire career. I think this was the role that launched Ryan Reynolds on the next 20 years of his career because he saw how fun he got to be in this movie and was like, what if I just did this forever? Wouldn't my job be great? And now he's getting to do that. It worked out extremely well for him because I love Ryan Reynolds. Just about anything I see him in, I generally enjoy him, actually. Other than Green Lantern, uh, I really can't think of anything else that he's done that was really bad. We don't talk about Green Lantern in, in this household. It's not allowed. Yeah, that, that movie is off limits. <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, we are covering Blade Trinity today, which came out in 2004, so four years before Marvel became the MCU. It is a superhero film. It is produced and directed by David Goyer, who also wrote the screenplays for the first two Blade movies, but this is his directing debut, which I will tell you a fun story about later. It stars Wesley Snipes, who returns as the title role but also produced this movie and then it has a co as a co-supporting cast of ryan reynolds jessica beale chris christopherson dominic purell parker posey and the game himself triple h and i think christian me and you had both forgot that hunter hearst helmsley was in this movie and i remember he came on the screen and i was like oh my god it's it's fat face triple h yeah i was i was very surprised and pleased to see him in here Kind of gave me a, uh, a really quick reminder of what this movie is going to be like. I mean, if you're including Triple H as not even like a cameo or a guy that's in a, like in a one scene, like a pretty prominent supporting character is a really telling choice. Yeah, no. And what what's actually funny about that is his character wasn't supposed to be that big. They just thought he had a really like commanding presence on screen, which is, of course he did. He was the world heavyweight champion. And they actually, while they were filming and everything, wrote out a lot more, uh, more lines for him so he could have a bigger role. So it wasn't supposed to be that big of a role. He's such a terrible actor, though. So I don't know how they got the idea that they should make him a bigger character in this movie. But nonetheless, um, Blade Trinity is the third and final film in the Blade film series. We do know that Blade is getting remade into the MCU at some point in the future, so there will be future installments, but this was the third and final of the Wesley Snipes era. It's also worth noting that the first two Blade films are significantly better. I'm actually surprised that they weren't as high rated as I thought they were. But nonetheless, they're significantly better than this movie. One of which, the second one, is directed by Guillermo del Toro, who is an Oscar-winning director for Best Picture and Best Director, I believe, for The Shape of Water. And the show even had a TV series spin-off after this that made it through an entire season of TV and never went farther than that. But season premiere of it actually had 2.5 million viewers, which was Spike's highest tuned in series premiere ever. That was definitely to date. I don't know if anything happened since then. And Spike TV is not even a network anymore. But pretty crazy to me to think that the Blade TV show made this much of a hit in the television world. 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely was like a phenomenon, which is when you watch this movie, like kind of hard to imagine if you just watch this in a bubble. But I think that's why this movie is kind of disappointing is because the first two were legitimately really fun movies. Um, like they're not great. And like you were saying, they're not well reviewed, but they are very well received by audiences are very beloved. And then this movie came out. Guillermo del Toro was actually supposed to do this movie and decided to drop out because his dream project got greenlit. Christian, do you know what his dream project was? It was Hellboy, actually, and I'm fine with that because the first two Hellboy movies, uh, Hellboy 1 and actually Hellboy and the Golden Army, I think is even better. So, hey, man, good for that guy. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Hellboy movies. I actually liked the Hellboy that came out with David Harbour as well um, recently, so definitely definitely was probably the best choice after watching this film. But the reception for this movie is not good. Um, it has a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes on 180 reviews. It has a 38 out of 100 on 30 reviews on Metacritic. The audience score, worth noting, is a 59, which is still not great, but not as awful as you would think it is. I wrote down some of my favorite lines from negative reviews um, instead of writing whole reviews because I thought these were hilarious. Um, Nigel Floyd from Time Out wrote, this has all the appeal of reheat coagulated blood. Jamie Russell of BBC wrote, sometimes bloody, sometimes bloody awful. See what you did there. Richard Roper of Ebert and Roper wrote, I hope this is the end. And then Bill Mueller of Arizona Republic wrote, this film abandons even the pretense of having a story. So, you know, normally I like to include some some positive reviews in here, but even the positive reviews were negative. Like there was a couple reviews that I was reading last night and it was basically one of them said like this movie is a big dumb Hollywood movie that is good because it knows it's a big dumb Hollywood movie. So no critics like this movie, even the people who gave it positive reviews, basically just said, it's big and it's dumb, but it's fun. You know, I mean, this is, we're going to get more into this here in a minute when we get to general opinions, but I mean, like, I have to agree with all that. <laughs> That's kind of exactly how I felt about it, too. I really liked what you said, uh, the sometimes bloody, sometimes bloody awful. I thought that was pretty funny. Moving right forward into general opinions, this is a bad movie, Christian. Not that I didn't have fun watching it, but this is a bad movie. I enjoyed the action, I enjoyed the humor, but the plot is sloppy. Frankly, it's just kind of trash. There barely is a plot. And it's super depressing to watch this movie coming off the first two movies of this franchise, which, like I said, are genuine joys. Uh, like we talked about, neither was well received by critics, but they're beloved by audiences. They're very well remembered. The Blade reboot that we mentioned earlier is very, very anticipated within these circles. So watching this movie, you know, it is it is kind of a th- you know, a wet thud to the end of what was a, supposed to be, and for the most part, was a really good trilogy of films. Yeah, the, one of the things I remember about this movie coming out was that it was very a very anticlimactic end to the trilogy. Um, we're going to get into the bin, the reasons why that's the case, but I think a lot of film, a lot of fans kind of felt let down, especially coming off the heels of two. That being said, I generally enjoyed this movie. I agree with a lot of what the positive views of critics gave to this movie, saying that it's a big, dumb action movie, and the reason it was enjoyable at all was because it kind of is a big, dumb action movie. And while I would praise the other two films for having pretty good costume design and makeup and VFX and stuff like that, they're not really super great here. I mean... 
you know, we're, we're going to get into it more. But overall, I enjoyed this movie, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun watch, but it's it's just, it's not a good movie. And I've noticed something is when I watch these movies that we do on this pod, after I watch something that's actually great, I'm a little more critical in my, like, general overview. Like, when we did um, Ghost Rider, I had just seen The Dark Knight. And fun fact, I watched this movie on Wednesday this week, and I watched Hamilton on Tuesday. So it was stacked up uh, against a little bit of an unfair fight. But I only have two fun facts before we kind of launch into the bin. The first one is what uh, something you've already mentioned. So following this movie, um, in 2006, they released Blade the Series, which got 12 episodes on Spike TV from June to September of 2006. I wasn't aware this series existed, and I'm a little disappointed at my 15-year-old self. And then, similar to Vampires, this series never seems to die. Do you see what I did there? It's a funny joke. In October 2008, um, director Stephen Norrington was developing a prequel trilogy that no one asked for around Stephen Dorff's Deacon Frost. In retrospect, that kind of might have been fun. Um, And in 2016, Underworld actress Kate Beckinsale stated that a crossover uh, sequel to Trinity with the Underworld series had been in development before Marvel regained the rights, which it did in 2012, which is a really interesting thing to think about because i always thought about blade and underworld as kind of rival franchises so i don't know if like they're under the same umbrella i didn't i didn't look that up or anything like overall but it would have been kind of weird to see them on the same screen for me i would be interested in seeing what that would look like it's you know that we're kind of at that point now where nothing's really going on with either franchise i know underworld had a relatively recent installment to the franchise but i don't think is very well received and there's only maybe a couple of those movies that i enjoy um there's a lot less blade content comparatively but it would be fun to see it seems like kind of a natural fit i will say the Stephen Dorff, Deacon Frost prequel trilogy, I am here for. Let's get this in development already. No, I think that I wrote down like a you know, little smart, smart line, like uh, no one asked for this. But as I read it, I was like, I would definitely have watched that. I don't know what three days ago Pete was talking about. Um, but with that garbage opinion of mine, let's move right into the bin. I'm getting real good at transitions. So I want to kick it off here because we've talked on this pod about people mailing in performances before. But Christian, I want to give you a quick recap of Wesley Snipes in Blade Trinity. I'm going to take the floor for a minute here. Wesley Snipes was very unhappy with the film's script and original choice of director. If you don't know, um, Wesley Snipes founded Amon Ra Productions, which was involved in the production of this movie. Um, so he's actually a producer. So he wasn't happy with the script, the original choice of director. They fired the director and they picked David Goyer to make his directing debut and take over. Snipes also protested this. And because of this, he was famously difficult during filming. Um, he frequently refused to shoot scenes, often forcing Goyer to use stand-ins and computer effects to add his character to scenes, which, if you know that and you watch this movie, it's glaringly obvious when it happens. Co-star Patton Oswalt alleged that Snipes would spend too much of his time smoking weed in his trailer and often became violent with Goyer, or, sorry, became violent with Goyer after falsely accusing him of racism when he said something. It's also alleged that Snipe refused to interact with Goyer and his co-stars and would instead communicate through his assistant and use of post-it notes. 
Snipes also referred to co-star Ryan Reynolds by a couple racial slurs on more than one occasion. And Reynolds, when asked how he got along with Snipes, said, and this is an exact quote, I never met Wesley Snipes for a single day. I only met Blade. And he says that because on the set, Snipes only answered to the name Blade. If you called him Wesley Snipes, he would not answer. And then, in 2005, Snipes sued New Line Cinema and Goyer, claiming the studio did not pay his full salary and that he was intentionally cut out of casting direction decisions and the filmmaking process, despite being one of the producers. And he also alleged that his character screen time was reduced in favor of co-star Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel. Maybe that's because Wesley refused to come out of your trailer. Knowing all that, I watched this movie. Wesley Snipes has less than 100 lines as the main character in this movie. And I, I mean, maybe if you go into it without that knowledge, it comes across better. But to me, this was like the, the biggest sabotage I've seen in a, in a movie in a long time. That's crazy. I did not know any of that and definitely shapes my opinion of what I thought of this movie and especially what I thought of his performance. Like all of that is just it's crazy on every side, I feel like. And I'm not even sure if you agree cuz like I don't think David S. Goyer is like a super amazing director so I and especially coming out it's like directorial debut. I almost kind of understand why Wesley was like initially mad but for him to go and just be completely insufferable for the rest of production is also kind of hard to defend the man especially with recent times and Wesley Snipes is not exactly the greatest person anymore so it's that's it's a mess that is a complete mess yeah I mean we talked about Mark Wahlberg kind of you know my opinion would shot the happening in the foot by, you know, basically hating his character and mailing in his performance and being really campy in it. Uh, but then you read this and you're like, damn, Mark Wahlberg was pretty professional. That's not something I say a lot. And especially when you read that knowing kind of where Wesley Snipes' reputation is now, it's very, very strange um, to go and watch this movie back and, and see how glaringly obvious it is that he does not care, that he was not involved, literally at points was not involved. Before we, um, before we continue, I do... Little bit, little bit of a side tangent here, but it's crazy to me that it seems like so many Hollywood actors, especially like bigger name stars, if they get handed a project they don't like, they're notoriously difficult to work with or just kind of be awful on set to be around. And this is coming from a guy who's obviously never been in a film, but I just can't imagine having this awesome job where you get to act all day and just being awful to everyone around you. Like, it just seems so crazy to me. Yeah, it's it's a world I don't understand because at, at my job, if I threw a temper tantrum like that, I'd get fired. So it it it's definitely, you know, it's an, I guess it's an ego thing, but it's, it's very, very strange. Uh, moving on from Wesley Snipes, though, my other main point of this movie was the plot is awful. I'm not sure the plot exists, for the most part. Um, this movie is about 145, an hour and 45 minutes long. And legitimately, I, I stopped my movie and wrote down at what point I started understanding what was going on. And it was about 44 minutes in. I'm still not 100% sure what some of the characters' end goals were. It was just all over the place and it was sloppy and it was real hard to follow. The plot is barely there. 
And by the time you realize what the plot is, it kind of gives you this sense of, what? Did, I, guess, I guess I'll ask first, did you see this movie first? Have you ever seen this movie before? I saw this movie when it was in theaters. So I was 15, I believe, or 14 when it came out, and I'm close to 30 now. So it had been a good decade plus since I had graced this movie. Okay, same. Yeah, so I mean, I had seen it in theaters, and I think I had seen it once or twice after that. Yeah, guys, I've seen this movie at least three times. <laughs> so speaking volumes to my character right now. You know, you know what was funny, and I was hoping you had seen this movie more than one time because um, when when Dominic Purcell's character was walking around town, my my partner made a comment like, "You can't just dress in a leather jacket and a white shirt and tight jeans and look intimidating." And we'll talk to Dominic Purcell in a second, but I said, "You don't have to act Christian like that so hard." Seriously, I'm <laughs> I'm a little offended, but. Uh, no, I'm I'm joking, but uh, well, you know what I wanted to say is that the the villains don't really have any motives at all in this movie. I other than wanting to kill Blade, a re- really top level overview of this movie. And my first point in my notes actually is this movie is about a gang of vampires that summon Dracula to kill Blade. As far as I know, that's the entire plot. Is that Blade is killing a lot of vampires so they summon dracula to kill him it's they never explain why and then dracula has some like what sub motive i guess about like wanting a better race of vampires because he thinks that the vampires have grown weak but then blade at the end of the movie blade just ends up being like basically the the thing he needed like that's his like end point is you know you you're my you're my end goal anyway so i kind of win even though i lost it's it's very strange i don't really know what was going on and i do want to touch on my opinions on dracula and dominic purcell's casting if you can if you want to dive into that sure hit me all right what is dracula in this movie like i don't i don't get it he came on the screen and he's got that weird unhinged jaw which you pointed out is like a callback to the second film but doesn't really have anything to do with like vampire folklore what is his final form why is he covered in horns and glowing blue why is he wearing armor on one arm dracula is a count he's like it's you know in everything you ever see him in dressed up in like the the tuxedo looking thing with the big cape and cap and neck thing and then this guy came out of the ground and i went what is that like i'd forgotten what he looked like he I just don't understand why that was the depiction they chose of Dracula, because it's almost distractingly different. It's a strange choice, for sure. The only way I can kind of think about it in my mind is that... I feel like since things like Bram Stoker's Dracula has been written, there's been so much more in vampire folklore that's been expanded upon. And I think the idea is that Dracula has been around pretty much since the dawn of humankind... So that's why they would find his body in the Syrian desert. Kind of, I think they're going for that he's from Mesopotamia kind of thing with it. And then the only other thing I can think too is that like, you know, he has this final form um, and whether you like it or not, and he's like this big uh, skeleton monster man, if he can turn into that, why does he look like Dominic Purcell all the time? I mean, Dominic Purcell's a fine looking dude, but like if you're trying to be intimidating in this 
crazy above all other creatures, why do you turn just back into a person for pretty much the entire movie? It just seems such a weird move for someone who's so obviously really powerful. He had a 10 minute fight with Wesley Snipes as Dominic Purcell, and only when he got like kicked through a window did he decide like, all right, now I gotta, bu- now I gotta bust out the big guns. And then he lost anyway. It's just, it's very confusing that they don't, and maybe it's a budget thing, maybe it's a technology thing that was limited back then, but it's a very interesting decision to make that spectacle his final form, and then only use it for essentially the first scene and basically his last scene in the movie. Yeah, no, it's 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 not used nearly enough, and I think probably one of two issues with it, the first one would be, this is 2004, the effects aren't great you know, just right off the back, it looks, there's some scenes where it looks kind of video gamey, but also I imagine that suit was incredibly cumbersome and awful to be in. And I don't know if Dominic Purcell was in it. They probably got a, a stunt double to be in it, but you can even notice just in the choreography of that fight scene that when it starts out, they're both hitting and blocking and jumping around and it's really fast paced. And then as soon as he puts the suit on, he's kind of just lumbering as he swings at blade so it just it just seems just all around just like poorly done yeah it's it's not great um while we're talking about dominic purcell he was an interesting cast for this um i like him he's a fine actor i've liked some of the stuff he did i was prison break fan they did him no favors by not creatively hiding his obvious lack of height he doesn't come off as imposing and then when he transforms, he's a completely different height, which, again, they don't do anything to, like, bask at all, so it's a little startling. I also had a question about Patton Oswalt's casting, because I love Patton Oswalt. He's one of my favorite comedians. But he's in a group with Ryan Reynolds and basically peak Jessica Biel. He stands out. They don't really give him a ton to do comedy-wise, which is why you think you'd bring him in. So he was an interesting cast for me as well. I, I wrote down he's kind of like their Q, uh, like in a James Bond movie where he's just kind of like providing all the weapons. I don't really know if Patton Oswalt had been in too much before this. And I mean, I could be dead wrong on that. But going back and watching this now, it kind of made me feel like this was like really early Patton Oswalt. So that was cool. But he doesn't really fit in with um, either of the other casting choices either. Um, of course we'll get into more in the beauty, but like, I liked the other cast. Like I thought the supporting cast in this movie was generally pretty good. Some other bad things I do want to point out though, the music in this movie is really, really tough to listen to. It is just dead set in early two thousands and it is just cranked up to the maximum. I almost think this movie would be a hundred percent better if it was scored differently yeah i also wrote that down the the soundtrack is at points distractingly bad there was a note that i wrote down a couple times uh which the general premise of is do you think when blank they were like damn we nailed this and there was a fight scene uh i think it's like the first fight scene where you meet uh ryan reynolds in that police building and the background noise was actually like bothersome to my ears. And I wrote down, do you think they scored that? And we're like, damn, we nailed this. Um, because I don't know how stuff like that gets through focus groups and like all this different stuff you have to go through. And then it hits this hits, you know, your screen and you're like, oh, my God, this is awful. Yeah, it, it just doesn't sound good at all. I mean, it's one of those things where it, like it's definitely part of 
the time period when this was made because a lot of other movies had similar soundtracks to this but it's just so done to hell in this movie and it almost felt too loud just almost louder than anything that was happening on screen it it was almost giving me a headache yeah no it's it's the exact opposite of the happening where we were talking about how it's very subtle and it builds at the right point it was just loud and obnoxious and there was way too much of it at points but that's pretty much all I had for the bin. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? Yeah, the last thing I think I wanted to mention was that this movie, for as violent as it is, because there's a lot of people getting shot and killed and people are hitting each other, it, it's a pretty like intense movie in that sense. But for as violent as it is, there's not really a lot of gore. Because just the very nature of how the vampires disappear in this movie... It, there's just not there's just not a lot of gore in it at all. There's not much like blood in it, and that's something that I find kind of disappointing because you know the first Blade movie is famous for that scene where he goes into the rave and it's literally raining blood from the speaker or from the sprinkler system. So for this movie to really not have anything that was too gory was kind of upsetting. Yeah, it's surprising too because. I, I thought I had the same thought, and I looked up, like, was it PG-13 or something? It is rated R, so they had the ability to do all that same sort of stuff, and they just chose not to. Which, I mean, again, like we talked about, David Esquire is making his first, you know, his, uh, his directing debut, so maybe that stuff he doesn't love, wants to tone back on, I don't know. It's an interesting choice, though. You are right about that. Yeah, it's it's definitely something. But with that, I think we can move into the most beautiful part of this podcast, the beauty. So why don't you start us off, Connor? The beauty, indeed. We're going to talk about Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel, uh, and they are two beautiful people. The best part of this movie is, ironically, the part that Snipes hated the most by his lack of involvement, and that's that essentially Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel are the stars of this movie, and they are awesome in this movie. Uh, I think this is like right when Jessica Biel was becoming Jessica Biel when like her like couple year run where her and Jessica Alba were and everything. But she's fantastic in this. She kicks all sorts of ass up and down the screen at no point looks weak at all, um, which is refreshing because most of the movies we watch here have a really, really glaring lack of women in power. Um, and then Reynolds in particular, I thought just slid in perfectly. Somehow he's, like, very underrated, despite being one of the most famous actors of our time. But he clearly, like, we were joking, you know, he basically is Deadpool, and this is what he does for the next 20 years. But his comedic timing is just impeccable. He didn't look out of place in the action scenes at all, and I think this is his first real, like, big action movie. So even despite being, like, kind of green in this, he doesn't really miss a beat. And you, Both of them really kind of stepped up considering the situation they were thrown into i completely agree jessica biel immediately as soon as she came on screen was definitely one of my highlights for this movie for all those reasons you just listed i really like that she seemed kind of physically imposing like jessica biel you know she's a beautiful woman but it seemed like you know she really trained for this movie she looked really in shape like she could actually do a lot of things that she was doing so i thought that was really cool and it's also awesome that there wasn't any sort of love thing related to her or nothing was emotional she was just a character who was a badass and like you were saying uh ryan reynolds is also awesome in this movie i think before this he was only doing like he had done van wilder he might have done just my luck i don't or just friends and 
I don't know if it came out at this time, but it was definitely around this time. But before this, he was kind of like a comedy and rom-com guy. And then he comes out in this, and he's like this ripped monster and this guy, and he's cursing and just this over-the-top character. And I think that was just the exact right move for him. And like you said, we rag on him for doing this performance often, but he's great at it. And I would never turn off a Ryan Reynolds movie because he was doing that style of humor. It works really well for him. Yeah, this is, like, the movie where Ryan Reynolds became Ryan Reynolds. Like you were saying, he did, like, Van Wilder in 2002, and then he does this movie in 2004, and the movie he did right before this was Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, where he's a male nurse, and the one after this is the Amityville Horror. And then, as soon as we get to, like, 2008, 2009, and he gets to become Wade Wilson, he kind of takes off, and then, you know... Unfortunately, he does the Green Lantern, uh, but then he kind of dives into Deadpool, and then, you know, he's he's mainly known for that role now, but he does do a lot of great movies in between them, like he did The Proposal, which I actually like, Don't At Me is a great movie, um, Just Friends as well, Waiting, like, he does all those, like, right after this, so this is kind of where he, he launched himself into his actual career, and funny enough, he put on, like, 25 pounds of muscle for this film, so he was a very small guy until this movie, and now he's, you know, widely renowned as this, like, huge action star who's always in great shape yeah i he's great in this movie i really enjoyed his performance all around some of the things that i really enjoyed about this movie were some of just the insane gadgets that were in it it definitely made me question how do these people have these things this girl's just whistler's daughter but she has a bow which she states is half as hot as the sun i don't know the exact temperature off the top of my head of the sun, but I can pretty much guarantee that half as hot as the sun is still ludicrously hot. So she's just carrying around this weapon. She could cut through like basically anything. Why is it she could like cut through buildings or cars or like literally anything with something that intensely hot? It seemed so overpowered. You, could, you can't have that weapon, which is something I laughed about, because when she said half as hot as the sun, I googled it. And the sun's temperature, if you just look it up, is listed as 5,778 Kelvin. So then I had to do the transformation from Kelvin into Fahrenheit. It's 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. So even if you were talking half of that, we're talking 13.5 million degrees Fahrenheit. The second she opened that thing, everyone on the planet would have melted. <laughs> so that was wild. But yeah, the gadgets were a lot of fun, like the bullets that they had. Um, she's got that knife boot that I thought was really well done. A lot of like the stuff that Pat Oswalt was showing off was a lot like that that gigantic shotgun. That <laughs> they were like, this will fire anything. Bullets, stakes, spears, whatever you want. That was pretty funny. And yeah, a lot, like you're saying, a lot of the gadgets in this movie were, were a lot of fun. Um, this movie is a lot of fun. Like, the action's a lot of fun in this, too. I talked about this a little earlier, but, like, it can be a little choppy, like, when you're going through and watching it. Like, some are, like, very long, drawn-out scenes, and then some, they're very, very cutty while the action's going on. But some are very, very, very good. In particular, that Triple H versus Ryan Reynolds fight. You could book that WrestleMania match for me right now. I would pay whatever a pay-per-view wage is now to watch ryan reynolds in the game fight again yeah that scene was awesome and i agree i generally like the action in this movie i thought it was fun i even liked 
when apparently, you know, when Wesley Snipes decided to show up on set, I enjoyed the action scenes that he was in. You know, he was obviously a very in shape and physically fit man. So he always, I always believed him as the character. And the same goes for the rest of the cast too. Uh, Triple H obviously has the physicality. So having him versus Ryan Reynolds, it's a good kind of like David versus Goliath situation there. Um, and it was really fun. I also want to say I looked up just for reference how hot a lightsaber is. And it turns out it would be probably around 14,000 to 45,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which would make her weapon significantly more power than a lightsaber, which is crazy. So you're telling me that that weird half, what they call it, the half sun or whatever it was, that that thing could have taken down both the Jedi and the Sith without, with barely trying. Yeah, that's that's kind of, that's the implication of this weapon. It might be the most powerful weapon we've ever seen on screen. Uh, we need to get this thing over to Thor or another MCU character immediately. I can't wait to compare for the rest of our lives every film's main weapon to that one but getting back to getting back to everything else um, I saw a review that said it's ironic that Triple H is in this movie because it's entertaining in the same cheesy trashy way that wrestling can be and that's almost like exactly on the head of what I thought when I was watching this was like I can't take my eyes off it it's a train wreck but it's an entertaining train wreck exactly and I think that's the thing I enjoyed most about this movie is that so much of it was just not good, but it was the exact kind of garbage that I like. For example, some of Wesley Wesley Snipes' lines as Blade I thought were really great. Notably one that has stuck to me ever since I saw the movie for the first time in theaters is when he is trying to get information out of that one guard outside the blood farm. And he says, oh, I, I can't tell you. If I tell you, he'll kill me. To which Blade instantly replies without missing a beat motherfucker i'll kill you and i i think that is just so funny just this guy be like no no i can't tell him like dude i will kill you and it just great yeah i think this movie if wesley slipes had cared would have been so much better while we're still in the beauty i did want to bring up that it's great and disappointing that chris christopherson is in this movie it's great because I love Chris Christopherson. I saw him come on the screen, and for the first time, I put together that if they ever did a big Lebowski sequel, he's the perfect guy to play an elderly, the dude. But also, he's, like, killed off within the first 10 minutes, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah, exactly. Um, that is the most disappointing thing, especially because he's pretty prominently featured in the other two movies. Like, he's he's to Blade what... Uh, stick would be to Daredevil, basically. He's that, he's that kind of character. And I generally like him. Uh, it really does suck that he pretty much instantly dies in this movie. But Chris Christopherson is fun. He seemed like just such a fun uh, character to have in there. I also had a note in here that Norman Reedus was in this movie, which I am wrong about. Norman Reedus was in the second movie, who would, of course, later go on to play Daryl in The Walking Dead. You know, I was going to bring that up because... I remember him in the second movie, and when you wrote that note in our doc, I was like, did I just completely miss a Norman Reedus cameo in this movie? And, like, I was very confused. I was, like, rewinding parts trying to see, like, well, maybe it was here when there was a lot of people. 
But then I was also like, why do you cast Norman Reedus and not at least have his face like prominently on the screen? So I'm gl- glad you clarified that because I thought I was going insane for a minute. But all right. I mean, that's pretty much all I have for the beauty. Do you have more you're ready to add into the cell? I am prepared to sell people on this movie, Christian, but I have started off both times. So why don't you kick us off here? Tell the people why they should watch Blade Trinity. If you like mindless horror action, I think this movie is kind of fun. I think the other two lean more into the horror than this one does, but it's still dealing with like vampires and stuff too, and that's pretty fun. Uh, I also do think that it goes by pretty quickly, which comparing it to something like The Happening is very much appreciated. For being almost two hours, I by the time I realized it was almost over, it was already at the Dracula fight, and there's only maybe 10, 15 minutes more after that scene. And like, I was like, man, this is a very quick moving movie. So I re- I really, really like that. The very premise of Dracula versus Blade is stupid. I'm not going to pretend like it's not, but it is, it is the right kind of stupid of having Dracula, famous literary character, famed throughout all of history, fight Blade. It, I, to me, it's silly stuff like that is fun. Um, why don't you tell me some of the stuff you thought? Yeah, I mean, I think we agree on a lot of that. Um, this movie is a lot of fun to watch. It's it's awful. I have problems with this movie. The main issue is that it pales in comparison in almost every aspect to the first two. Um, and also, Wesley Snipes seemingly made it impossible for this movie to succeed. However, it is two hours of adrenaline and fun. Like you were saying, this movie is like half an hour longer, I think, than The Happening. And it flew by. Like, The Happening felt like it took much longer than this. The fight scenes are well done. The effects are dated, but, like, they're not egregious by by any means. Like, we, it's not gamer where I watched them. I was like, this is awful. And this, like, this added humor element they put in was a really great addition because while this movie lacked in, like, a plot that I was able to invest in, I did laugh a lot more. Um, and then, like I mentioned, Beale and Reynolds were great in this movie. It's great to watch them in the beginning of their careers because, like we said, Ryan Reynolds is just beginning and this is like the very beginning of peak Jessica Biel. So watching them kind of be really young and, you know, really starting out and really killing this role. Like you see a lot of people who jump into like big sort of franchises like this and kind of, you know, look a little awkward or out of place or struggle and neither one of them did anything like that like I wrote down in my notes like Ryan Reynolds just shows up for this movie and gets to narrate gets to fight Triple H and basically just seamlessly rolls in Ryan Reynolds has the worst beard in this movie I've ever seen it and no point was I like that's distractingly bad it is if you look at the photo it is but he's so good in it you don't even notice and then lastly and this is kind of something we've talked about on this podcast before this is a pre-MCU film, right? We said this during Ghost Rider, but if you go watch like Spider-Man Far From Home and think like, ugh, enough of these Marvel movies, I can't take any more superhero movies, go watch this movie because then Spider-Man Far From Home seems like prime, like grade A, golden era cinema. It's legitimately insane that this is the same company behind these two movies. But with that said, watching this movie does make me super excited for the reboot that's coming um, into the MCU. I know it's not coming in Phase 4, from my understanding, so it's not in the next like couple years, but they did cast, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, so I'm sorry, 
Mahersala Ali, who has already been in Marvel. Um, he's Cottonmouth in the Netflix series for Luke Cage. So he's already been cast to play the character, and he's excellent. So I'm really excited after watching this movie and seeing the potential that Blade has, even back in 2004, what this newer indication of it's going to look like. That's actually something that I had wrote down, too, that I wanted to talk about, was that I feel like this movie is a pretty good representation of pre-MCU, and I think you start to see some things in the MCU in a movie like this where you have bringing in new characters, having more of a team-up, having this witty, sarcastic sense of humor, these quips. Those are all things that you definitely seem to see later in the MCU. And I think something important to remember about Blade is that Blade is really responsible for superhero films as they are today. The first one came out in 1998. came out two years before X-Men, and it came out four years before Spider-Man. So this is really what kind of started the hype for Marvel, and that's really interesting to think about, taking a character who is just a guy who kills vampires, and largely he's pretty responsible for why we even watch Marvel movies today, is a really, really fascinating thing to me. You get to see kind of the end of a Hollywood heavyweight's career here because I don't think Wesley Snipes went in went on to do anything else after this for several reasons Chris Christopherson I don't think was in too much after this either you also get to see a start of a lot of people's career as well so you see some people leaving Hollywood and some people coming in Patton Oswalt would later go on to be a very famous Ryan Reynolds obviously uh, Dominic Purcell I think after this is when he did Prison Break or During but still pretty uh, a more well-known name now. Um, people like Jessica Biel, obviously very famous now. So it's cool to see these people at the start of their early career and then how far they've come now and still be like generally, you know, most of the people in the movie still generally pretty well-liked overall. So I think just based on that, it's an interesting watch. And like you said, uh, we're going to get a reboot of Blade here in the next few years it, that's actually in the MCU. I think Mahershala is the perfect choice for this. As soon as I saw him, I thought, hey, man, I like that actor a lot. I've always liked him ever since he was in House of Cards. I've always thought he was a really fun actor and a really very talented actor. So I'm excited to see what he will bring to this role. Yeah, I, while we're talking about the cast, too, I want to call out that this movie, I think of all the movies we've done, has the greatest that guy character, uh, that guy character list, which, if I haven't touched on it before, that guys are people, literally when they come on screen, I go, hey, that guy, and then I have to Google what they're from. The list includes, like, Parker Posey's in this movie as the main villain, which took me a long time to figure out who that was. Uh, but Natasha Leone's in this movie, John Michael Higgins is in this movie, if John Michael Higgins will never not be the guy from Fired Up for me, so I did recognize him as soon as he came on the screen. Eric Bagazian's in this movie. There's so many people who came on, I was like, hey, that guy. And it's always fun when you get to go through and see all these people um, who you kind of vaguely remember and then get to go down a wormhole about, oh yeah, John Michael Higgins is in Community for three episodes as a weird professor. So it's, it's always fun to get to do that. But this cast, besides Wesley Snipes, is excellent. I agree. That's definitely something I thought was really good about this movie is that the cast all around was solid. And it's always fun to see 
you know, you you and I are clearly both friend fans of wrestling, and we've talked about that pretty much throughout his entire podcast. But it's cool to see Triple H in a big movie. Um, I don't think he did too many other movies other than this, maybe a few. But he was fun. I enjoyed that. And if worse comes to worse, remember that there is a vampire Pomeranian in this movie, which I think somehow applies to both soccer moms and people who like spooky stuff, too. So it kind of strangely encompasses everybody. Uh, so I, I'm a fan of vampire Pomeranian. I, I had thoughts on vampire dogs, and it wasn't that I didn't like them. It was that it was very confusing to me how that dog turned into a vampire. Um, I just, I don't know if it's been covered in vampire lore before, if dogs can be turned into vampires, but that is a conversation for our other podcast, which is Vampire Daily. It's on Spotify. It is a daily recap, 30 minutes every day where we go over. This is a long bit. I wasn't prepared. Anyway, let's move into the question, Christian, if there's anything else that, if there's not anything else you want to cover in the cell. I have a final question here, and we are going to do it, but... The first thing I want to ask you here is, has anyone been in more unconnected superhero franchises than Ryan Reynolds? Because he's in this, which is Marvel. He's in Green Lantern. He plays Wade Wilson once in the X-Men Origins Wolverine movie, and then Wade Wilson again in the Deadpool movies. So that's at least four different continuities crossing two different industries entirely between dc and marvel that this man has been in can you think of anyone who's been in that many different superhero properties because it's it's kind of crazy no i'm like brainstorming right now to think if there's anyone i think there's a couple people who like did early like michael b jordan did like the fantastic four and then did black panther but those are technically both marvel right no, I think that's it. Like, if you don't include Stan Lee for being in every movie ever made, um, it's got to be Ryan Reynolds. That's insane to think about, that he basically just hopped ship three times and was like, I'll just keep doing this as long as people keep letting me be myself. It's it's very wild. I mean, because, I mean, you have, any, you have people like Chris Evans, who was um, obviously Captain America, and before that he was a human torch. So he's been in a few of these movies, but still only really two properties. Just the fact that Ryan Reynolds has been in so many properties that kind of failed because it wasn't, if you think about it now in retrospect, it wasn't until the Deadpool movies that he was in a superhero movie that was well regarded because this had poor reception. Green Lantern had poor reception. X-Men Origins Wolverine had poor reception. So it wasn't until the fourth time he tried to be in a superhero movie that people actually liked it. Yeah, I'm going through a list now of people who have been in multiple franchises, and the first one is Ben Affleck, but he's only that awful daredevil and then kind of a mediocre Batman. I think what puts Ryan Reynolds apart, too, is that he's good in pretty much all of these, if you don't involve his character arc in Origins. What about, like, Aaron Taylor Thompson? He's Quicksilver, and then he's also Kick-Ass. Yeah, he's, he's another one for sure. And I think there might be rumor of bringing him into the MCU via some just completely absurd... Well, no, he's he is Quicksilver in the MCU already. That's right. But they could bring him back. I've, I've heard some rumors of them wanting to do more with that character, and especially now that we're going to get 
WandaVision, it's very well possible that we could see him in some sort of fantasy world that Wanda creates. I would be into that. By the way, Dominic Purcell was also Heatwave in the DC in a DC entertainment film. Huh. All right. Didn't know that one. But that does bring us to our actual final question. So I ask you now, Connor, if you could be any certain race within the Blade universe, which would it be? Would you stay human, vampire, halfling like Blade, or one of those spooky mouth boys from Blade 2? All right. So the obvious answer here is the halfling, right? Because they they make specific mention in this movie that the humans... The familiars are the weakest link in the vampire kingdom, so you don't want to be them. And then vampires seem very easy to kill if you're not Dracula, right? There's like 18 different weapons that kill these guys, and all you basically have to do is get stabbed by silver. They were killing three of them by pumping silver through a vent at one point, so it seems a little easy to die if you're a vampire. But halfling's also the really basic answer, right? It's boring. So I'm going to be a spooky mouth boy, mainly because as soon as the spooky mouth boy happened, I went, do you think that's the uh, inspiration for the Demogorgon, like how they open their face? Do you think the spooky mouth boy was the inspiration for that? And I'm going to choose to believe it is because then I get to be part of the Stranger Things universe as well. Ooh, okay. All right. I really like the direction you took with that. And I, I mean, I have to echo that. The obvious choice for me is Spooky Mouth Boy because the design of that was so strong. It was so immediately recognizable when that came out, just in kind of scary. I mean, I was pretty young when Blade 2 came out, but I remember it being pretty scary and unsettling to see on screen, especially knowing that Guillermo del Toro made a lot of those things and a lot of it was practical. Um, so really, really affecting. So obvious choice is that one. The halfling has a lot of merit as well. I mean, Blade kind of seems like he's so much stronger than the other vampire because he's only half vampire, which I doesn't really make sense now that I think about it. He's only half as strong as someone who is stronger than a human. So I, I don't know. It, the, the math isn't there. <laughs> no, the, ma- the math isn't there. But Blade also seems to maybe be immortal because the virus didn't kill him, which it was supposed to kill all the vampires. But he also, like, doesn't die from anything else because he's part vampire. So maybe being a halfling makes you unkillable. That's kind of how it seems to me. This isn't really relevant to the actual movie. But something I always find very interesting about vampires or werewolves but specifically vampires is the amount of clauses they have of things you can use to kill them where it's like yeah you're you're immortal you won't get sick or die of old age but also the sun silver wooden stakes garlic holy water you can't enter someone's house without their permission just, just like the list goes on and on of ways that vampires can be very easily tortured by humans. It really makes me question, why would you want this? It, it almost seems like someone was just making stuff up as they went because we've talked before off pod about like the quote unquote Superman problem with with things like this where they make things too strong and then they kind of shoehorn like something in where it's like oh but this is the only weakness you didn't know about and it seems like someone was like well we can't do the silver thing again and then someone had like was chopping garlic in the other room was like what if we make them i don't know not like garlic it just seems very thrown together it's very strange for sure that i think out of all the 
mythical animals there are, vampire would not be very high on my list for a thing to be. I, th- I think the obvious choice is werewolf. Werewolf seen awesome. You still get to die, but um, every now and then you just turn into this unstoppable monster. Yeah, the transformation does seem very painful, though, so I guess it'll depend on that. But, Christian, before we wrap up, I did actually have a second question that I want to ask you that I just thought of. So, Guillermo del Toro did the second movie in this, right? Introduced Spooky Mouth Boys. If you had to take Guillermo del Toro and have him do a horror version of any other Marvel superhero, who are you picking? Can it be a movie that's already been done? Yes, any any character, any franchise, anyone. He's just going to take it and make a horror movie out of it. Okay, so I have two answers that immediately come to mind. The first one is something that's been done, and it's uh, Doctor Strange. I think he would do so well dealing with like those other alternate realities and seeing like messed up kind of people and different stuff like that. And I think he would be able to add both fun, excitement, and horror into it. And then if we were going to go something that hasn't been done yet moon knight would be really interesting um you know he's kind of the marvel equivalent of batman except a hundred times crazier his background deals with egyptian lore in a very interesting way and he's also got this crazy dissociative identity disorder so i think that would be a really fun character to see someone that talented work with and also kind of make it scary but more kind of psychologically scary of how he doesn't know how to trust himself and i think i think yamal del toro would probably do a really good job of that the first idea that came to me was dr strange because they have described his next movie as already a horror movie so i think that would be a lot of fun the next one i had though was scarlet witch i think that you could very easily do a lot with wanda maximoff and especially the character that they showed in age of ultron where she's definitely struggling with kind of her power and her emotions I think you could do a lot of cool stuff with that in a horror film. I think so, too. The only other thing I can think that might be cool, this is a stretch, but if he did something like the Hulk and he just went all in on the body horror and the prosthetics and just made Bruce Banner in his transformation to the Hulk more misery than anything, there could be something fun there. Ooh, that would actually be a lot of fun. That's a good call. I think that's a good place to wrap if there's nothing else that you want to add, my friend. No, that is it. I am also ready to wrap. Awesome. Well, Christian, it's been great. We'll be back soon with another mediocre movie. But until then, my friend, you stay frosty. Stay frosty, Connor.